Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined for, uh, by Seth Engel for our Penn State uh, weekly Penn State chat. Seth, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, it's uh, another slow news week, but uh, it's kind of interesting this week, you know, with, with some of these Penn State players now hitting some of these postseason camps, um, trying to get their stock up for the NFL draft. So we've kind of entered that portion of the year. Um, and as we inch closer to the draft, we'll have, you know, some pro day stuff and uh, it'll get a little more exciting on that end. Yeah, the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game are now the only meaningful football being played on this weekend, considering that the uh, the Pro Bowl is now flag football and dodgeball and, I don't know, calisthenics. I, I have no idea what they're doing with the Pro Bowl now these days. Yeah. So if you want to watch football, college is really your only game in town this weekend. And Penn State's got a number of players in these college all-star games. Um, at the Senior Bowl, they have Johnny Dixon, Adisa Isaac, Theo Johnson, and Kalen King. Then at the Shrine Game, they have Caden Wallace, Hunter Norzad, Curtis Jacobs, Daquan Hardy. Um, Seth, my first question for you, who are you watching most closely from that group, you know, in, in terms of getting a chance to boost their draft stock, get get some eyes on them from scouts? Um, obviously, they'll have Penn State's Pro Day at some point to impress scouts as well, but um, you know, there's a whole lot of scouts at these games, and then there's a whole lot of scouts watching these games that, that maybe don't show up at a pro day. So this is probably going to be, you know, one of the bigger audiences you get during this draft process to, to kind of show off what you've got. Yeah, there are, there are a couple guys in particular that, that stand out to me. Um, Adisa Isaac is the first one. Um, I think if you're anyone who watches Penn State, you know, closely, you know that Adisa Isaac is most likely one of the best defensive ends in, in the country. Um, I just don't think that the rest of the country really knows who he is. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, to him being able to kind of put on a show um, and show what he's capable of on that edge because his story is, you know, it's, it's just remarkable to, you know, to have a torn Achilles and um, come back. And, you know, two years later, he's, you know, leading the team in, in sacks and, and TFLs. And um, I don't think he should he should drop past round two, you know, maybe three is a stretch. But I, I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Um, another one's Theo Johnson. Um, we, we've seen these these Penn State tight ends have not disappointed. You know, Pat Fryermuth, Mike Kosicki, most recently, um, Brenton Strange now, you know, doing pretty well for himself as well. Um, I think Theo Johnson, when put in the right system, um, has the ability to, you know, to do some things in that end. Um, you know, other than that, I, I think there's some underrated, some underrated defensive players like Johnny Dixon and Curtis Jacobs, um, who, who really could use this period to, to boost their, their draft stock. Outside the group of Olu, uh, Chop Robinson, um, I think Kalen King we can probably put in that category right as a, you know, maybe then the Joey Porter position of possible first round, definitely early second round, uh, definitely high draft stock. Of, of those guys that are not in that group, who do you think has the best chance to, you know, surprise kind of like, um, you know, I think some of those guys did last season, Juice Scruggs hopping up, Brendan Strange yeah. you mentioned at the end of the second round. Um, who do you think from that group has the best chance to be a premium pick, maybe an early day two pick rather than, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, or, or maybe potentially even going undrafted in terms of making a splash this week? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You bring up Drew Scruggs as a guy who, you know, was maybe a little bit under the radar, but, you know, use this period to really show what he could do. And, you know, Texans end up taking him in the second round and, um, this whole year, I mean, he started at center for, for the Texans for most of the season. So, you know, this period is is really useful for some of these guys. Um, and maybe some of those under-the-radar guys that we didn't discuss yet, like Caden Wallace, um, who's an experienced 
offensive lineman like Juice Scruggs, who, you know, we've already seen some highlights from him at the Shrine game. Um, it looks like he's doing pretty well. You know, Hunter Norzad, too, at that center position, um, an experienced guy who knows football and did it at a high level against, you know, some of the best defensive lines in the country. I think when he's paired with, you know, maybe some other guys who weren't going against these Big Ten defensive lines, um, you know, the product might improve a little bit. And, you know, you might get a little boost if you're if you're Wallace and Orzad. Um, and then Curtis Jacobs is another one who has just been productive for, you know, the longest time at Penn State, um, yet really just hasn't earned, you know, a high grade when it comes to, you know, his, his draft boards, um, stuff like that. So I, I think that he could, you know, absolutely – you know, use this period and, and be a very productive player at the next level if put in the right situation. Yeah, I think Curtis Jacobs is in that linebacker group of like guys. There's so many linebackers you think are next level guys, and then you realize how the NFL kind of just kind of devalues the position. I think, you know, middle linebackers in particular are kind of like the running backs of defense, um, where, you know, every traditionally they're very important, right? Um, and, and they can make or break a defense. I think, you know, we see that in San Francisco with guys like Frank Warner. Um, you know, but, but then when it comes to the NFL draft time, no one wants to spend premium, you know, draft capital on, on those types of players. I'll be curious to see if Curtis, Curtis Jacobs can, um, you know, impress enough and, and maybe jump up and, and surprise, um, of the guys from that group, who do you think is likeliest to go from maybe a fringe day two pick to a solid day two pick, or, or maybe someone who's a day three pick who can become a day two pick? Yeah, I would, I would say Adisa Isaac, you know, this is, I think he was one of the most you know, electrifying Penn State players of the past two seasons. Um, and I think he's going to wow people um, when it comes to interviews. You know, this is a, a very professional guy. Um, he's, a, he's a great kid. And I think, you know, he has a, a very bright future in the NFL. Um, he's lengthy. He's strong. Um, he, he pretty much has all the intangibles that you would want in an edge rusher. Um, and to battle back from an injury and stay healthy the way that he has, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of green lights when it comes to Adisa Isaac. I think my pick is going to be Daquan Hardy, Seth. Um, you know, I, I think he was kind of off a lot of people's radar. And then in that Ohio State game, he was making play after play. I think he had that big penalty on that drive where they had the uh, the touchdown called back. Um, mm-hmm. But but he was he was everywhere on defense at the beginning of that game against, you know, one of the most loaded rosters Penn State's seen all season that, that anyone could possibly see all season. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if Daquan Hardy doesn't make a little bit of noise and, and help himself out a little bit. Um, who in terms of, I want to ask this question this way too, because it's not all about the second round or day two, getting into day two. Sometimes you have surprises later in the draft. I think Sean Clifford was that guy last season uh, for Penn state in terms of, I think most of us expected him to be an undrafted guy. Um, you know, maybe a, a Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant situation, but certainly not, uh, drafted in the fifth round. And, and I think it surprised a lot of people. And then he goes to green Bay finds kind of a niche behind Jordan Love, I think impressed a lot of people. Um, who's someone that, that's soundly off the radar in, in terms of, you know, potentially getting drafted that you think could, could have a chance to use this evaluation period um, to have a pick used on him and, and help his chance to, to make an NFL roster come the, come the summer? Yeah, and Parker Washington was, was another guy with Clifford last year who, you know, he started a little slow in the regular season um, after being a sixth rounder to Jacksonville. And um, he became a pretty significant part of, of that wide receiver room, um, you know, at the end of the season there, you know, scored a couple touchdowns and, you know, did all right for himself. But I, I do think that I want to go back to the offensive lineman I was talking about before, Caden Wallace and Hunter Norzad. Um, it's not like there are a ton of people talking about either of those names. And um, especially when it came to the group of, you know, NFL draft eligible players on, on Penn State's roster this year, 
Um, no one's thrown around Caden Wallace. You know, this is a, um, a veteran offensive lineman who has had struggles at times. At times, he's been good. I think I think this past season was maybe his best um, with with the Nittany Lions. And um, I, I think to have, you know, I think almost, what, four years of, of starting experience under his belt, um, I think is important. I mean, he's another one that I think is going to wow in, in interviews and, and Norzad, you know, moving from, from guard to center and being able to kind of do it all in that offensive line, I think is going to help him as well um, to, to have that versatility. It, it looks, it looks good to an NFL team. And those are maybe some guys who are, you know, maybe projected six or seventh round that, you know, could end up a little higher than that just based on these camps and these interviews. Yeah, I wonder if Hunter Norris adds a name to watch, especially if you're a Steelers fan. Um, obviously, this is a Post Gazette, Pittsburgh Post Gazette channel, and and people are interested in who the Steelers might pick. We do a lot of talk on our draft shows with Christopher Carter about you know how, how the Steelers definitely need a center, but they also have so many other needs, and and you don't see teams spending a lot of draft capital on center. Maybe if you get into those you know late day two, early day three. Um, places you, you look at a guy with Hunter Norzad's resume and you say, hey, maybe maybe he can fit in here. Um, he can be kind of a depth tap, you know, a depth guard, and then um, you know maybe really make a play for center so that you can move on from Mason Cole. I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I think he should be on Steelers day Steelers fans day three radar for sure. Um, Seth, let, let's move on. The other big headline in college football this week that really directly impacts Penn State in a lot of ways was the departure, the official departure of Jim Harbaugh to the Los Angeles Chargers, the Michigan coach who just won the national championship. Um, is that something Penn State can take advantage of in your mind, you know, considering that the recruiting disparity between these two programs really hasn't been that big? Um, it's just been a matter of Jim Harbaugh was able to get more out of his guys than James Franklin did. Um, do you think Sharon Moore, who's already been named the replacement, can kind of keep that train on the tracks? Uh, or do you think that the Penn State could could look at Michigan as a little bit more vulnerable than it's been this last three years, where it's kind of been uh, Penn State's bugaboo? Yeah, well, I think next year is going to be a transition period. You know, it doesn't matter the fact that they're sticking with their offensive mind from the previous year and to run more. It doesn't matter Harbaugh's leaving, and um, you know, the, it's going to be a transition, right? Like this was the year that everything was supposed to come together. We talked about it, you know, on the pod a few weeks ago. Um, after after they won the national championship, they had built around their unit and had built these pieces so that they could get it done this year. And now those guys are gone. Harbaugh's obviously gone. Um, I think that next year is going to be an interesting year for Michigan, um, especially in a you know a relatively tumultuous period for all Big Ten teams. Um, we don't know really what it's going to look like at all. We can only predict. Um, and Michigan is going to have um, a lack of experience and you know, a lack of, of kind of clarity as to what that program, you know, truly is in 2024. But um, as for Penn State, not going to get to see the Wolverines till 2026, which kind of goes back into this, you know, whole scheduling format and Penn State not having a protected rival. And um, it's kind of just the way the cookie crumbles, which, you know, maybe in some cases it's good for Penn State, maybe in some cases it's bad. I think James Franklin probably liked to have Michigan on his schedule next year. Um, despite them winning a national championship, you know, just weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's interesting in the sense of, you know, if Penn State does manage to beat Ohio State, right, who's going to be on that other side? Um, you know, who's going to be that number two team? Is it going to be Ohio State? Or are you going to face a rematch? Because the divisions will be gone next season. So, um, you know, if Penn State and Ohio State both finish with one conference loss, 
um, than, than, and everyone else has more than, than you would face Ohio State. Um, I guess that's really the only way if you're Penn State, right, that you can take advantage is, is if Michigan's not in the mix for, for a conference title. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think I think Ohio State's probably the clear favorite at this point. Um, Oregon, maybe two up there. Um, Penn State, you know, it's 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 going to be weird. You know, it's going to be hard to predict. And um, the roster obviously hasn't been kind of figured out yet. But to lose maybe a, a, a prominent program like Michigan that's consistently been on the mix there, um, at least for this season, you know, should make it you know, maybe a little easier in, in terms of the leaderboard and the standings when, um, you know, you're trying to win that Big Ten title or, you know, maybe even finish second. But um, I, I think next year and maybe 2025 might look a little closer to the Michigan that, that we saw from, you know, maybe 2018 and 2019 before things really started to come together. I think the interesting thing about Michigan, Seth, is the way Jim Harbaugh was able to coach the team to an identity, right, and, and the way he yeah. wanted to win. And I think that second half against Penn State where J.J. McCarthy throws the ball one time um, was was kind of the uh, – yeah. that was that was the kind of the masterpiece, right? That was the, the ideal. That was the goal, to, to win a big game that way. Um, do you think Sharon Moore a, – A, do you think Sharon Moore can – can coach a team into that kind of identity himself without, you know, having come from the NFL the way Jim Harbaugh did from a, a, a kind of, you know, dynastic football family. Um, you know, Sharon Moore, I don't know if he, he, he certainly has done a good job at Michigan, but that he can kind of mold a team in his image a and B is that something Penn state's lacking? Is that especially on offense? I think on defense, you know what you're going to get from Penn state, but defensively, uh, or excuse me, offensively, they don't seem to have that that same identity. Um, so yeah, kind of a two part question: Can can Sharon Moore restore that with with this Michigan program, even if it, it does take a little bit to turn over this roster? And B, can Penn State ever get there under James Franklin? Well, it's important to remember too that you know it was Sharon Moore who was calling the shots in, in that Penn State Michigan game, where, where Michigan only threw the ball like you know one time in the second half, um, and it worked. And he was able to do that for you know half the season almost. Um, with Jim Harbaugh, you know, suspended. Um, so I think the fact that he already has the head coaching experience and the fact that he's already worked closely under Harbaugh, I think that's part of the reason why why Michigan wanted to stick with Moore and didn't go to an external candidate because they wanted to keep things the same. They had their identity. They had the culture locked down. And Sharon Moore understands that because he's been a part of it all. Um, you know, what was the second part of the question? Can Penn State ever get there? Can James Franklin, you know, maybe take advantage of this this requiem here, where where maybe Michigan's not going to be quite as strong to kind of say, hey, and, and learn the lesson from from Michigan, kind of taking similar quality players and turning them into yeah. a national championship powerhouse, um, and and Penn State not being that. Can 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 James Franklin learn lessons from that? Yeah, and I, I think this kind of goes back to what we were saying after they won the championship, but like the way that you build the team and the way that Michigan built it and built their identity was through the trenches. Um, and, and James Franklin talked about that after, you know, the 2022 loss at Michigan, um, where he said, we're just not big enough in the trenches. It wasn't necessarily talking about size. It was about, it was about physicality and the ability to size up with, you know, Michigan's already established offensive and defensive lines. Once Penn state gets there. And I think they are, you know, the defensive line is, is probably there. The offensive line is maybe getting there. Um, once that happens, all you got to do is build pieces around, you know, that's, that's how Michigan did it. Um, so I do think it's possible that Penn state can follow, you know, at least a similar identity 
um, and being an aggressive, defensive-minded Big Ten team that makes its way, you know, to the playoff and, you know, maybe competes for a championship. I, I think that we've seen the identity work. Um, it's just a matter of the pieces really coming together. What does your gut tell you about whether it's in – you mentioned that, you know, Penn State's not going to play them the next couple of seasons unless they see them in the Big Ten championship game. What's your gut tell you about whether it's a good thing or bad thing? That, that Michigan's not going to be there. I don't think we really know I, until we see this this 12-team format play out the next couple of years. You know, it's going to kind of be an incomplete. Um, my gut tells me that it's probably a net, a net positive that, that you avoid a team that's been in such a bugaboo, but maybe a net negative that this is a year you might be able to beat them, and that might stand out to a lot of people. If you can beat the defending national champions, even if they're in a down year, that takes a, an outsized view in, in the committee's uh, mind whether you're vying for a you know a, a top four seed where you get um, a buy or whether you're you're vying for some of these um, at large bids into the twelve team field. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little difficult because you know it's a different it's a basically a different program next year. Like it's a completely different roster. They don't have the same head coach. Don't have the same you know star running back. Don't have the same starting quarterback. Um, it's very different, and um, I do think. It is a negative, the fact that Penn State doesn't play them next year because I don't think Michigan is going to be very good, partially because Jim Harbaugh, you know, only just got hired by the Chargers. Like, the transfer portal is basically all closed up. Everyone's found their new team. Like, everyone's been out recruiting and everything. Harbaugh took his sweet time. So Michigan didn't really have a chance to um, really go out there and, and, and work the portal like every other team in the country. And I think that that's a disadvantage for them. Um, so for Penn State to not play them, um, not great, but, you know, at the same time, Michigan will be back. You know, this is one of the, you know, blue bloods of college football. They just won the national championship. They'll be back. They'll be good in a couple of years. And, you know, maybe 2026, after a couple of years without Harbaugh, maybe that's the year Michigan finds their stride again. So um, we'll we'll see what happens. But, you know, you never want to have um, a, a national contender on your schedule every year. That's, you know, so – to avoid that as much as possible, I guess, moving forward is is a relative positive for Penn State. The Another big piece of news this week, the future ACC schedules are released, and we are going to get the uh, the Penn State coaching tree bowl between Manny Diaz and Brent Pry, Penn State's last two defensive coordinators, obviously Brent Pry at Virginia Tech, Manny Diaz recently hired by Duke. Um, Seth, are you intrigued to see that game next season? Yeah, no, I think that's uh, it's interesting where it, it says a lot about James Franklin and his coaching tree and kind of just what he's built at Penn State. Like uh, when when Diaz left, it reminded me of the fact that, you know, Penn State's not going to have much trouble finding his replacement. And it wasn't it was a couple of weeks and they got a former head coach um, in Tom Allen. Um, but I think it does speak to the fact that this is probably one of you know, the most attractive assistant coaching jobs in all of college football is Penn State's defensive coordinator job because it generates something else. Like it's, you're bound to succeed at least a little bit. Like there's not much of a failure rate. Um, and when you succeed, you know, you get rewarded for it and, and look at it now, you know, two head coaches in the ACC who are, are going to face off against each other. But it is, it is a little funny and I'm interested to see kind of whose system outplays the other. Obviously it's Diaz first year. Price had a couple of years already under his belt. Um, but I think that'll be a fun one to watch. And if you're a Penn State fan, like you probably should be tuning into that one. 
Who do you think has more upside in their new role in the next five years, Seth? Obviously, I think Virginia Tech's kind of bottomed out a little bit, had some rough, you know, it was, it's been a rough start for Brent Pry. put a little bit of momentum together toward the end of the year. Um, obviously, Duke Duke was playing national games this year, so I think they're starting from a pretty good place, but they lose a lot of talent. Uh, they lose the quarterback. Um, who, do you, who do you think, if we're sitting here five years from now, A, is still going to be at their school, and B, maybe having more success? I think what Manny Diaz was able to do um, in a couple of years at Penn State was was pretty you know substantial, um, and I think the fact that he already has experience as a head coach, you know that that makes me lean more towards him. You know, Duke was a better program than than Virginia Tech last year, even though Virginia Tech had a relatively decent year. You know, after after a cup after a, a you know a little stretch there where where things weren't so great, but um, Manny Diaz wasn't terrible at Miami. You know, he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible, and he probably learned what worked and what didn't work. And I think after sitting back for a couple of years at Penn State, I think he's hungry, you know, to go to Duke and and make that program, you know, really tick and and continue to win games and you know win more than they even did last year under under Mike Elko. Um, you know, I, I think Diaz is a is a great mind, and I think he's a great leader. Um, and, and I do think Duke is going to be you know relatively successful under him. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Seth, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, the Hoops team gets a big lead against Minnesota on what was it Saturday night and then kind of yaks it all away, some injuries in the second half, um, kind of disrupt the flow a little bit. Um, got some got some significant games this week as well. What's your assessment of where they are as, as uh, we're making the turn here into February? Yeah, it seems like just when things start to pick up, it just, you know, it crumbles, whether that means – you know, going on the road and, and losing a game after a big win or whether that means just completely blowing a lead. Because um, we saw it against Northwestern, too, at home. Um, I believe it was a 13-point lead that they blew. Um, and a week later, you know, it's 16-point lead they blew to Minnesota, which was a game they had completely locked up. Um, just couldn't figure it out and go all 40 minutes. Like, that's what you got to do. Um, but I really do think it starts on the road. Um, Penn State has two games at, at Rutgers and then Indiana – um, those are two opportunities for Mike Rhodes to get his first road win with Penn State. And like that is where you start building that momentum and showing people on their on their turf that, that you're a legitimate program. It's when you go on the road and you can beat people, um, I, I think that's important for them to do. Um, you know, the other takeaway I have from Saturday is that it was it was just a, a packed crowd, you know, in the BJC, which is rare. Um, it was the Thon game. It was a good aesthetic. You know, it was, everyone was wearing their neon Thon shirts. And when you have a moment like that where it's Saturday and there there's fans in the stadium, like you can't blow a 16-point lead. Like you're trying to sell yourself as a good program. You can't blow a 16-point lead to a, you know, a team that's relatively mediocre. It just can't happen. Um, so that's that that was my main takeaway, but you know, Penn State basketball is going to do what Penn State basketball does, as we've seen over the past few years. But, um, you know, Mike Rhodes, you know, let's let's give him some more time. Yeah, it evoked that uh, that the way they completely blew it against Rutgers last season when we thought yeah, that's, like that, that was the that was the game where the the March Madness chances went out the window. Of course, they rallied, um, and and good things ended up happening. So, you know, I think you learn a lesson from that. I think back to when I was in school, the 2011 team got to the NCAA tournament. I remember it was Super Bowl Sunday. And they blew a game against a very beatable Michigan team. And I sat there and had the same thought that I had when they lost to Rutgers last year of like, man, they're done. They're toast. And, yeah. and they came back and made the end of the season interesting. 
I think we've seen Penn State always go into those Big Ten tournaments with as a threat. And so I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Can you get? Can you can you round out your game enough that you're a threat to win two, three games in the Big Ten tournament? I don't know that that's going to be enough to get them into the field this year, but at least you know you go out on a high note and and, and give people some good feelings. Um, Seth, I, I've got two more questions for you. Number one, can I get your reaction to the Big Ten having a 15 team uh, tournament moving forward? That's not going to include all the teams in the conference. So now you're going to have to make the Big Ten tournament. Um, it should be a reasonably low bar. Like unless you're a terrible team, you're probably going to make it in. But the fact that it's not automatic and, and you're Penn state basketball, do you have any reaction to that? Um, yeah, probably, probably a bad sign if you're Penn state basketball, who is, you know, I think year in and year out kind of made the tournament as a really low seed. And like you said, found a way to go relatively deep, you know, last year making the, the big 10 title, um, was was an interesting one and kind of the epitome of everything. But, um, you know, I like it. You know, I think it's fair. I think with the amount of Big Ten teams that are joining the conference next year, um, you know, you can't play everyone. You know, it's, it's it, there should be some competition. And I also think it kind of raises the bar for the regular season. And, um, you know, you're not just fighting for the NCAA tournament. You know, you're also fighting to compete within your conference um, when it comes to postseason play. Um, so I think, you know, and, and basketball is, is something we're really, I feel like people aren't talking about enough when it comes to expansion. Like it's really, you know, football, 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 but um, to bring some of those, those Pac-12 teams into the Big Ten next year, it should be, should be exciting. Yeah, I think if you're a Penn State fan, you really want to make sure you stay out of that that realm of like, basically, it's like relegation, Seth. If you don't make the yeah. Big Ten tournament, it's going to feel really yeah. bad. Uh, I think Penn, the Big Ten's done this in the past, though. I think Penn State's missed the Big Ten tournament as like the last team. Um, maybe when they had 13, was it with, with Nebraska? Or maybe it was when they were the 11th team and they had a 10-team yeah. tournament. I forget, but I'm pretty sure the Big Ten has done this before. Um, Seth, I also want to ask about Kanye Clary. He got hurt again um, on, on Sunday. He plays so much of his game close to the rim. Um, I saw a, a stat on, on Twitter recently. He's one of the best finishers in the college game, but – um, do you think he's, he needs to bulk up a little bit and, and, and make himself a little bit more resistant um, if, if that's the, the type of game he's going to play at this level? Um, because this is what this is the second time this season he's, he's been injured. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so I think he got hit in the face. You know, he took like either an elbow or a shoulder to the face and I, he's day to day for for Rucker. So we'll have to see tonight what happens. Um, but, but, you know, I think he's, he's really been an exciting player this year. And I think he has far and away been, you know, the best player on that roster. What, what I think the challenge is, and this is, you know, maybe something for Mike Rhodes to, you know, to think about, and he probably is all the time when he's game planning his offense is his guys, obviously ace Baldwin jr. You know, he was with them at, at VCU. Like that is his dude. He recruited him out of high school. Kanye Clary is, is now this like second favorite son type of thing where it's like how do you game plan for your two star point guards like they both play the same position um and they both have different styles of play so i think honestly when it comes to kanye clary it's it's creating a situation where you understand that this is your lead scorer this is the guy who should be creating you know opportunities for other guys in the team too because that's what happens when you get you know double covered you know someone else is going to be open we saw with Jalen pickett last year so to be able to just admit this is the guy we're going to run our offense through, I think should do numbers for Penn State and have Ace play his role the way that, you know, Rhodes wants him to play and not play him like he's this 
you know, electrifying scorer because I just don't think he's consistent enough to do that. Um, that's that's basically my thinking when it comes to Clary. Um, but I do think the success of Penn State does revolve around ball movement, um, especially when, when the ball is in Clary's hands. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be an interesting the th- thing to watch play out toward the end, kind of a one-tree hill uh, <laughs> arc to, to kind of pay attention to as we go down the uh, down the end of the regular season. Seth, any final thoughts on any Penn State storylines before we wrap up for the week? No, I think that's about it. We covered uh, pretty much everything. It's interesting, like even when it's a slow news week, we still find a way. You know, Thirty. Yeah, we, we're we're coming up on the twenty-nine minute mark here. Yeah. Uh, we can always find something to talk about. A little little NFL draft talk, and listen, you know, as as the Pro Bowl continues to recede further and further from seriousness, uh, and as the NFL <laughs> draft continues to become such a focus for people, um, you know, these are these are bigger games than they were ten years ago. Seth, people people watch, people pay attention. Um, so I'll be fascinated to watch that play out. I'm not a draft Nick like a lot of those people, so I'm going to probably watch it a little bit more casually. But, you know, if I hear, hey, there's a, there's Johnny Dixon, you know, it's definitely going to perk up my ear. So I'm looking forward to it. Seth, thanks for stopping by. Uh, we will have more here on the Biscuits at Sports Now YouTube channel. Paul Zeiss and I will be back talking more about Arthur Smith, the Steelers offensive coordinator, higher on Thursday. Christopher Carter will be back with the North Shore Drive on Friday, um, and then we'll, I'll have the draft show on Saturday. So we'll be getting into a lot more, maybe reacting to the Shrine game because I believe that's played on Thursday. Um, so if, if a Penn State player shines, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, thanks for stopping, stopping by, and we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.